All right, we're back. Hey, Julie. Yes. Happy Sunday. Yeah, happy Sunday indeed. So, uh, as always, on Sunday, our podcast is unplugged, unscripted, irreverent? Hopefully not irrelevant, but maybe irreverent. It's probably irrelevant. It's Sunday. We'll see how it goes. And as always, we always try to do our Sunday podcast in someplace other than our studio. And in this case, listeners, loyal listeners, we are sitting in what could only be described, well, it's a screened-in porch that looks, as I sit here, like a treehouse, and we are in... Uh, North Carolina in the Appalachian Mountains, surrounded by somebody's bear sculptures. <laughs> How many bears do you see, Julie? I They're see, everywhere. I see three bears. They're Hold very on. cute. Don't move. That one might be real. Oh, no. That's <laughs> well, a Well, they are supposed to be in the neighborhood. So. Yeah. There's black bears up here. Yeah. So we, Julie and I, uh, got off island for uh, a little delayed anniversary present to each other. And we are in North Carolina. We went on a nice long hike in the Appalachian foothills today. Yesterday, we did something which was extraordinary. Well, yesterday and the day before. Also, if you hear any crazy noises in the background, like that noise that you may or may not be hearing, which that very well could be Bigfoot. Or, yeah, Sasquatch is nearby. Yeah. We have the warnings to prove it. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> well, oh, you know, we, still, we always forget what? to do this. So Sunday, listeners, if you're listening to us for the first time, um, this is not the normal podcast. Normally on the podcast, you know... It, Considering it's the number one listened to daily podcast for real estate agents in at least the United States, and we're listened to in 54 different countries. So normally during the podcast, we actually talk about real estate things primarily, things that are going to you know help put you in a position to uh, help you help people and make money, educate you, motivate you, and help to get you into action. But on Sunday, nope, we're debriefing, we're defragging, and this <laughs> Sunday podcast is going to be extra weird because frankly, we took the whole week off, so we have nothing to defrag uh, from except having spent the whole week doing nothing exactly right so you have been warned so you've been warned so yesterday and the day before longtime listeners will know that um i am a car nerd and julie is a what car would nerd you, by association i was going to say something similar to that and uh she's in a car nerd support group car that's nerd right that's a good way to put it of card yeah so yesterday we uh were able to go out and what was the name of the company appalachian uh appalachian driving experience yes or experiences and, experiences and if you guys that are all if any of you are into sports cars specifically porsches on uh, uh yesterday we drove a gt3 rs through some of the uh, not some of the uh, the most beautiful roads i'm sure in the world certainly the most beautiful roads that we've ever driven on just absolutely stunningly gorgeous uh through appalachian mountains and the, the name of the roads that we drove on uh, were things like tail of the dragon what were the mm-hmm. other ones you I remember think one was hellbender <laughs> Hellbender. Um, well, it's near Deals Gap, if people are wondering where we're close to. Murphy, North Carolina was a start- starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, Hiawassee uh, Dam was nearby. But uh, yeah, the, I think the tail of the dragon is uh, kind of telling. It says it all, yes, right? It does say it all. And it was incredible because there. this has become, I th- as far as, you know, if you're into cars, you know, you've heard of Tale of the Dragon. But the cars that we've seen and the groups of people we've seen from all over the world, motorcycle, mostly, I would say probably 60% motorcycle people. But we saw Europeans here on their motorcycles. We saw just tons of... People re- come from all over the world to drive that. It's 318 turns in 11 miles. But it's not And just, then you turn it around and do it again. It's not just <laughs> Tail of the Dragon, too, that's spectacular. There's And frankly, having drove the Tail of the Dragon on uh, Wait, the day before... Read my t-shirt. And we drove it in a Porsche GT4. Well, Julie's wearing a t-shirt, so I'll read you some of the other names. Uh, here's... Uh, no, that, these, some of these names aren't that good. Um... Killboy, uh, oh, well, let's not call that one. That one gets to be a little bit crazy. 
Uh, here's a toll booth. Here's the all the turns have names. hump, aka gra- uh, gravity cavity. Here's mini hump. These are all uh, names of turns, basically on um, Tale of the Dragon. So you guys get an idea. If you, again, if you're um, not a card nerd, uh, just bear with us. We'll talk about something that's going to be real estate related. Oh, here's one: Hog Pen Bend. <laughs> <laughs> here, here guardrail cliff i think the joke is that there's no guardrail but there is a cliff uh triple apex corner um uh, tail of the dragon overlook uh dragon escape uh rocket corner uh, you guys get the idea yeah. and so this whole area is not just um tail of the dragon there's probably i am not sure but there had to have been at least 50 other really gorgeous oh, roads everywhere. Around. we it, haven't yeah. driven a single not beautiful road. I think you've done more driving in the past four days than you have in all of quarantine lockdown. Oh, for sure. And, and more day, fun driving. For and sure. the day before, so we did a GT3 RS yesterday, which was lizard green, which is, you know, the color of the car is called lizard green, which is appropriate since we're on Tail of the Dragon. And the day before that, we were out in a Porsche GT4, for those of you who are car nerds, but those of you who aren't, as promised, we won't stay on this topic for much longer. But here's a funny little history lesson. Um, a lot of these roads are old uh, moonshine roads. Which mm-hmm. is absolutely pricelessly hilarious. So these roads were carved out of the mountains to, in essence, evade law enforcement who were on the main uh, main roads. And over time, <laughs> they just became, you know, obviously roads that were used for normal people, not just people running booze. And then they paved them. And speaking of paving, uh, now, granted, we we live in Puerto Rico, which probably has some of the worst public roads I've ever. You can't even imagine how ever. bad some of the roads are. And they don't even have snow as an excuse. Yeah. But here, the roads in North Carolina, you know, we drove a little bit in Tennessee, but the roads in North Carolina were some of the most beautiful, beautifully kept, perfectly paved. Un, it, it's like every single road all the way around here, even roads that you would never think that anyone would even take a second look at are just immaculate. Yeah, really smooth and beautifully kept. I have to say, as someone who is uh, occasionally a nervous passenger, I was impressed, especially on the tail of the dragon, at how many uh, turnoffs there are. You know, like yeah. say somebody's driving an RV at 20 miles an hour. They're, they, At least since the last time we were here, I didn't remember it like that. They, I think they've improved it. They've made it more smooth. They've made it more safe. They have good signage. I think people have pretty good manners overall. They do. You know, yeah. good well, it's the South, you know, too, it's so the people South are polite. And, and people are here to have fun, and I think mm-hmm. everybody sort of appreciates that about everyone else. So, um, yeah, and, and nice driving, by the way. Oh, thank you. And there were, uh, everywhere you looked, there were little places, uh, hotels and gift stores, and but it's all geared towards people who like to drive or ride their motorcycles. And that's what made it su- such, for me, a, a bit of a mecca. So much so... That we ended up buying, uh, or in the process of buying, a, uh, I guess could be described as a cabin. A cabin. A yes. cabin, nice yes. Cabin. A cabin with a three-car garage. Yes, well, and the leaves here are just stunning. It's been a long time since we saw such a just incredible, and of course we're here in the fall, uh, just gorgeous leaves. And and I, a special shout-out, I have to say the agents that we've run into here have been quite professional. Yep. And uh, very easy to work with and really understand their market. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm overall impressed, even though there are way too many billboards, which is a little weird. Right. We talked about that on our one <laughs> podcast in the past but, uh, week because we couldn't get over how many billboards there are, agent billboards. And it re- takes me back to was like uh, <laughs> before the tech bubble crashed and caused the housing market to take a step back. How every all these agents, all these little gimmicky ideas that are just, they make, like branding and all this marketing stuff and all these gimmicky things like billboards that really do nothing to drive business to you. Especially agents, when there's so many of them, it's kind of polluted. It is ridiculous. But I, I mean, here in this little town, it, Julie's not exaggerating. It's like, first of all, there's way too many billboards. 
and every probably third billboard is a real estate agent billboard. It's just incredible. We were joking that it, the deal must have been that if you you know buy a billboard, you get a real estate license for free, you know, so. or maybe it's the opposite. I'm not really yeah. sure. But yeah, it's spectacular. And this is really it, this has been a great experience for Julie and I for a whole host of reasons. One, it was just Julie and I. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So this is the first time you and I have had a I nice know. romantic getaway. Yes, and and, and, and the like child forever. and and the, the uh, grandma and the French bulldogs are are all alive and happy and. Uh, you know, go us. <laughs> yeah, back in Puerto Rico. Yeah, go us. We finally did it. And yeah, um, yeah we met we met up with some friends and some people that we know from EXP while we were here. A uh, special really nice. shout out to uh, Colette McDonald for letting us borrow her convertible when we're not driving Porsches. So yeah. that's been fun. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, that's what we've been doing this past week. So I apologize if we haven't um, given you guys a daily podcast. And this is the first time in I think four years that we at, that we took more than one day off from podcasting. And uh, I, I hope you guys all made it. I hope, made it. <laughs> I hope no one went, had any yeah. hard withdrawals from not listening to Julie and I every day. Um, but in the meantime, we, we were definitely keeping up on the news and paying attention to what was going on um, in the real estate world and how it's relevant to all of you guys. And really, we gave us an opportunity as well to catch up on some of the texts and the emails from all of our podcast listeners and coaching clients and people just generally speaking, asking us questions. Uh, I was really glad to see the benefit of the podcast that you and I did, the series we did on essentially Zillow, getting into the real estate business and all that. I was, you know, we were, we, we have no, we're not afraid of getting ahead of our skis when it comes to opinions and no. predicting, you know, things of that nature. But for the Zillow things and for the things that you and I were, were expecting to happen, um, and really when we started making predictions about this year, pretty much we were 99% correct all the way down to the social unrest if you listen to our podcast going back to mm-hmm. march mm-hmm. we were predicting that it, when we heard about these uh shutdowns and lockdowns and all this we it was it was obvious that there was going to be some you know natural bounce back or natural reaction to people being told that they have to essentially be prisoners in their own homes and that all worked out to be true and it spun into one thing into another into another and I, so i think it, if you're wanting to know how to think or what to predict what's going to happen next the, the best way of guessing what's going to happen next is ask yourself how you're going to react. Ask yourself if your own behavior is going to change or, or and just start internally and be introspective. And don't worry so much about things you can't control because if you start with thinking about like, so for example, the whole Zillow thing, Zillow getting into the real estate business, does that really affect you? I suppose if you're in a small or medium-sized real estate brokerage that doesn't have an iBuyer, that's not technology-based, that doesn't have some of the tools that, um, say, for example, Zillow does, then, yeah, you're at a disadvantage. There's no doubt. Because what's going to happen is they're going to start taking more and more buyers and sellers out of the market earlier in the process, which means that you're going to have to be fighting for the crumbs. And unfortunately, that's true. Um, especially with the fact that they're really honing in on how to use the iBuyer as the pointy end of their stick to really go after the market, which that means that they're not going to be having to just chase the buyer leads anymore. Um, And really, if you want control of the industry, and Julie and I have been saying this forever, obviously, just read our book, Harris Rules. you You have to be a listing agent. There's no real leverage in being a buyer's agent. All the leverage is on being a listing agent. You know, just the, the house that you were in contract on, evidently now. I mean, we just call the listing agent directly. We're not going to bother with the buyer's agent. No, it's faster. It's more efficient. She knows more about the property. Exactly. You know. There's um, no back and forth. We made. We basically offered full asking price. That was that. <laughs> she, okay. Easy peasy. She had three other showings scheduled on the property. We got to know one of the neighbors who said that he's, you know. He runs so, the HOA. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole thing was, the whole thing was perfect. But, uh, and look, there's no, we do think there's a place for buyer's agents. And we do think there's a place for 
um, you know, the real estate industry to sort of fill in these gaps that are going to be created from the, the vacuum. Um, but really, it's incredibly imperative, important that all of you realize that the changes that were, have been slowly rolled out really effectively since the last 25 years, um, and most, I think, importantly, since really 25 years being really when the Internet started coming around. But really, you've seen the biggest change in real estate since Zillow went, um, came alive basically in 2006, 2007. When that started to happen, um, that sort of opened the floodgates for a lot of other changes that are also um, that we've also seen slowly roll out. But then the pandemic hit. And with the pandemic happening, um, you're now seeing more and more changes happening faster because people's expectations or what really everything about uh, how consumers want to interact with agents and what they're expecting from their agents, it's completely changed. And if you look at the brokerage industry in particular, it's like, um, you know, when you talk to somebody two years ago about EXP, they was one of the first maybe, you know, it, was, it was not uh, abnormal to have someone ask about the lack of office space and agents couldn't quite work it out in their minds whether or not that was a, an attribute or a detriment, right? I don't ever go into the office, but is office space important? And real estate brokerages have always had office space and brokerages have always had retail locations. It was just sort of this, you know, antique way of thinking, you know. And then the pandemic hit, and then everyone realized, well, guess what? We don't need offices uh, after all. And then you see EXP Realty uh, really start to take off in terms of agent count. It, at the same clip, it has been, but even more so now. You know, started this it, basically the company's doubling in size every every twelve months. It's extraordinary. Nothing like that's ever happened in real estate before. So if you want to if you want to understand more about the macro trends or what essentially everyone's going to be, uh, what the world's going to feel like a year from now, take a real hard look about how things are today. And what are the companies that are getting the most traction the quickest, that are actually meeting the consumer demand the fastest? And that truly is going to be eXp Realty. It's going to be Zillow Home, which is the name of their brokerage. And it's going to be some combination of Open Door and we think Redfin. You know, there's going to be a lot of, um, you know, uh, mergers and acquisitions. There's going to be a lot of companies that are going to start buying each other, and just there's there's too many players. And look at these old legacy brands that have been around forever. All these big franchises and all these big, you know, they're not going to have the same influence on consumer behavior. Um, it, look, Zillow has the, the word Zillow has become synonymous with the word home or real estate. Yeah, and I forget what study it Highly was. Highly accepted, but people have are you? They don't say like they'll say I'm gonna you know I'll go Zillow it. Right, that's the thing that's changed. The, like Google it, it's, right? Right, it's become like the Google of homes. Right, that's something that once you have that type of mind share, you don't lose it. Generally speaking, that's something that's set for the ages. And uh, just like the word realtor, frankly, the word realtor, that's a made up word. But what does it really mean? It means a whole bunch of different things. But what it really means is a real estate professional, right? Well, now Zillow or Zillowing, what does that mean? It means searching for a home. It means essentially that's where you go to get information. That's Doing your gonna, research. Right. right. So it will Zillow home then become the new, will that then become the new, the word for realtor? I don't think so. Because here's the funny thing about um, Zillow getting into the real estate business. And I and you and I talked about this the other mm-hmm. day when we were driving around the Porsche GT4, right. by the way. Sure. This is what we do when we're relaxing. We talk about <laughs> what we're going to talk about with you guys. But like I was thinking now that they're in the real estate brokerage business and now that they're going to be, um, you know, in essence, they're a brokerage, they're a competitor for you. 
their website's a competitor for you. It really always has been, but now it officially is. Now they're going to have to join your board of realtors. Now they're going to have to join your local board of uh, your local association. Now they're going to have to play by not just the laws that all of us been governed be, to you know be play by, but all the rules and the guidelines and the you know the tribe tribunals and the you know all the kangaroo courts and all the things that basically well, I happen. I mean, honestly, you could talk about disclosure. Who's the actual listing agent and right. how you communicate? All of those rules have to be played by, and and that's going to be something new for Zillow Homes, and we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, here's the thing that I worry about is the agents that say, oh, you know, that's just going to be a flash in the pan because Zillow is not profitable. Well, that doesn't matter, (laughs) right? I mean, they have so much funding, and you've talked about this before. They can pretty much do whatever they feel like doing, so don't get distracted by that. So then the next thing that agents will say is, well... You know, who's going to take an iBuyer offer? Who's going to take a wholesale offer when the market's hot and the sellers know they can probably call the shots, right? I'm going to share with you. I've thought about that. You know what I'm saying? That's what agents will say to combat the whole thought. But the agents that think like that, Mm -hmm. generally speaking, are the agents that aren't in in the business for much longer. I agree with that. Or won't be. And maybe they don't even know it. Now, here in this town where we are now, Mm -hmm. you probably have a little bit longer, you know, time of thinking like that and not having any negative ramifications of it. Than you would in maybe this a larger true. area. Sure. I mean, realistically, even where we're from, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, the the truth is, is that right now Zillow and uh, you know Open Door and Redfin and EXP Realty, they're going to change everything about the way real estate is. At least how consumers perceive they're going to interact with a, a real estate, uh, have their real estate experience of evolve and you as a real estate agent you have to be thinking in terms of what you're going to do to compete with those companies and the point julie was making you know is incredibly valid if you think about an iBuyer offer for example you know they can start they can go into a marketplace and you're going to this is where it's really going to get interesting in my opinion and you know julie and i again we talked about this it's funny we were talking about we did talk about this when we were driving around is that you're going to see, I think, these companies, they're going to absolutely hold nothing back to gain market share. So so we just talked about the fact that Zillow and it has, in essence, become synonymous with the word real estate or home search or things like that, like Kleenex is to tissue. There's a lot of other sort of examples like that that you guys can think think of, you know. So if if they become, or if Open Door becomes synonymous with sort of instant offers, then they've won the next battle. So Zillow right now, in terms of consumer, you know, let's call it brand awareness in terms of real estate, they definitely are winning. They're even winning more so than probably, well, certainly Realtor.com, right? So if, assuming that trend were to continue, where's the next battlefront? The next battlefront's definitely going to be who's going to be the dominant, uh, who have the dominant mindshare for uh, iBuyer. And iBuyer is a dumb term, by the way, whoever thought it up. I mean, I, I'm sure well, it, was, it was good then. We but. should probably explain what that even means. Basically, yeah. it's uh, in the same bucket as instant offers. It's right. It's uh, perceived to be a wholesale offer. It's not always, you know, right. it's really a convenience offer, I think, would be a better term. Well, so in essence, you will sell your house to, um, you know, Zillow offers or an iBuyer. Like eXp Realty has an iBuyer. Um, you know, Open Door has an iBuyer. You, you go to this guy's website. You put in your address. You say, uh, give me an offer on my house, and if you like the numbers, they will then basically, you can have some control over your closing date and all the rest of it, so you have flexibility. You don't have to condition your house. You don't have to show your house. You don't have to do anything. You're just basically having having them use comps, having them use their 
you know, their different uh, analytical tools to go about assessing what the value is. And then they do inspect the house and we can, you know, valley back and forth, volley back and forth, whether or not they're overly inspecting to drive the price down, all the rest of it, because I know they are. But let's just look at facts. So if you can, you know, if you have a $500,000 house, let's say, and you can sell that house for uh, 75, uh, let's call it 80 cents on the dollar. Um, and you can get rid of the house and not have to, you know, deal with all the Mickey Mouse that you normally have to deal with. You just turn, the, you know, walk away. And you mostly control the closing date right. and the possession date and all the things that sellers live in fear of. And you didn't have to let anybody in your door, especially during times of COVID. People don't like that. Right. I mean, yeah. it's a convenience offer. I and, think. and how many people out of, you know, Julie and I are guessing, but we think maybe out of 10 people, or at one will want an offer where they're going to get, say, 80 cents on the dollar because they could put that, especially in a hot seller's market, which most of the country still is, they can put that house for sale uh, and they can sell it for maybe, let's do the math here, listeners, okay? So if you put a house for sale for 500 grand and it sells for 500 grand and let's say traditional selling fees, let's say amount to, I don't know, I mean, every state's different. Some states you have these crazy conveyance fees and whatnot. But what do you want to call it? 10%? Yeah, that's safe. Eight to ten. Okay, usually. so let's let's call it ten just to keep conservative. Keep the math easy. So and and some of these iBuyer offers they'll come in at fifteen percent. So you're gonna have to pay or you're gonna have to net five percent less. Again, I don't think it's twenty, but let's say five percent less in most markets than you would if you just put the house for sale. But what are you saving? You're having you're saving the hassle of having to deal with having the house for sale. And if I you know, if you've ever lived in a house while it was for sale, it's an mm-hmm. awful experience. Yeah. It, you know, and especially if you have kids and you know, if you're living there, right? And but, before you think that nobody takes that, we have lots of coaching clients who have their own programs, most right. of them EXP because they make it a lot easier to do this. Right. And we have lots of examples where sellers have said, yes, you know what? It is worth it to me. Um, most salient examples just from the past week are sellers who say, you know what? We've had it. We're going to drive our RV around for you know the next 10 years. We're, we're just going to sell out. We've got this really kick-ass RV. We're out of here. Make it easy for us. We had another one where they wanted to relocate back to Ohio and they, they took like 25000 less and one of our agents, uh, actually, in this case, he bought it himself, spent about 1500 bucks on cleaning up the tile and turned it around. And you know what? The sellers were thrilled to take that offer because they just wanted to be done with it. And there's a lot of people that, especially with COVID, frankly, yes. who are now putting a lot of, they've, re-prior, they've restacked their own decks. They're not putting the most money as the most as the top priority. And, and just for the record, most sellers never did have highest prices, the biggest priority when they're putting a house for sale. Most sellers were definitely prioritizing things other than the highest price. When what they always prioritize, like 99% of the time is the least hassle. That's the thing that matters most to people. Take the pain or the perceived pain away. And I'll even be willing to pay, as Julie just said, we've always called it a convenience, uh, convenience fee. Convenience. But that is in essence what it is. And we can talk about, what is it, CarMax, right? Mm-hmm. And we've talked about all this stuff before, yeah. and I don't well, want to bore I think there's two points. One is, don't kid yourself that nobody's going to take these offers. Oh, yeah. Because we see it from our coaching clients every day, okay? That's point number one. Yeah. But even if it is but only one coaching 10, clients buying the houses themselves. Yes. Okay, so even if that is a lower percentage, that's also missing the point, because what this really does is generate listing leads. Right. And that's really where this goes. This is the big story that nobody's talking about. And this is the reason, frankly, if you're not with a, a brokerage that offers a iBuyer uh, tool that you can use, I don't know how you're going to stay relevant in this era of iBuyer. This is the next battleground. There's no way this is not the next battleground 
Um, it, it, now, the, I'll tell you where I don't think it'll. you'll see a lot of iBuyer activity, where you won't see anybody, these sellers really giving much of a hoot about being able to sell their house really quick. It's going to be the really high upper end stuff. Because those people yeah. have multiple properties. They do not care about, uh, the, you know, whatever. They can sit on it. They already for, have their choices built in. Exactly. Yeah. So that's not, that's not important. Yeah. So the battleground states, if you want to call it for that, for the iBuyers are going to be probably where your average sale price is 350 or less. It's most of the country. Yeah, that's realistically. Most of the country. It's the, the average. You know, Maybe 500 or less. It just depends. Yeah. Every yeah. market's a little bit different. But, but, the, uh, but the point yeah. Julie just made, listen to what she just said. It's really important you guys understand that. So I know there's studies have been done on this, and I apologize that we didn't research this prior to bringing up this point. Um, but it's Sunday, and you know, like I warned you guys at the beginning, we don't. Just, we're not. We're not. We're, <laughs> we're just sitting here on this, you know, treehouse screened-in porch, um, and uh, having a conversation with all of you. Um, but it's what happens to all those other seller leads. So ten people ask for an I buyer offer. One person takes it. It's maybe less than one person. We don't know. Uh, and those other nine people, what happened to them? They're still seller leads. Those are still listing leads. Now, some of you guys are saying, well, they sell those listing leads to agents. They do. They have. And that's what happens. That's what's been traditionally happening as they've been honing, you know, essentially sharpening their saw, trying to um, figure out how to make the system work better. And now what happened? Guess what? Now they're a, a, a brokerage. Now that they're a brokerage, now that they're a national brokerage and they're going to be licensed in all 50 states, what is that then going to do with what do they what do you guys think they're going to do with those listing leads that they're generating? Uh, you think they're going to still sell those to agents? They will as you know until they scale up their brokerage in your market and then they're not going to sell those leads to you anymore. They're going to keep them themselves. Now here's the funny part. It what's amusing to me is agents actually want to argue this point. Of course they're going to keep those listing leads. Of course they're going to take resale listings. Wouldn't Why you? else would they be hiring Zillow employees? Right, Zillow they're hiring homes. agents and putting them on salary. Of Who, course, by the way, aren't allowed to do their own normal stuff, is my understanding. Right, they can't. They can't take listings outside of. Um, it's getting cold here. No. Yes. <laughs> Isn't it weird? Up. Isn't it weird being cold? I know, and I'm sure it's probably like 70 degrees. <laughs> We've become weak. We no longer have Ohio blood, that's no. for sure. We have, we have Caribbean blood. That's right. But it is weird, though, yeah, isn't it, being it is. cold? Yeah, so it's that's nice. what you need to pay attention to. That's the reason that Julie and I, and I, 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 we were so proud to be aligned with EXP on this, because EXP is the only national real estate company that puts you at the center, even in the era of this new battleground, which is going to be the iBuyer uh, battleground, because you as an EXP agent actually have your own iBuyer through EXP. You can walk in to a seller's house and the sellers you have to assume in most of your markets. And when you start seeing Open Door and Zillow hammer out marketing and advertising, you are crazy not to assume that every one of your listing leads, even your mom or your aunt, who you think you're just going to walk in and get the contract signed, you have to assume that they've also they're also shopping to see what their iBuyer buyer offer. But they're going to at least be curious. Yeah, hell yeah. And I think a lot of people who maybe aren't certain that they want to sell yet are going to start there just to kind of get a feel for what they might be able to get. That's a lead too. That's true. You know, I mean, those That's are kind a, of so you guys get the point. So what leads. this is is the ultimate lead generation machine. Yes. Now, if you want to go on a little time machine trip with us, if you go all the way back to the eighties and the nineties, guaranteed home sale, right? Guaranteed home sale program. That's in essence what these guys are doing. There are no new, there are new, no new ideas in real estate. These are all the same ideas that are getting regurgitated well, constantly. Like the, the bandit signs: "We pay cash for homes. We buy ugly houses." Yeah, same the we deal. buy ugly houses thing. That was a, you know, they, this is what this has evolved into. You know, technology has made it so these guys can scale up, yeah. uh, and they've done it incredibly strategically. I doubt if they, no one, they never. I'm sure when they started, they didn't even have on their radar the idea of being i buyers. 
but uh, because the term hadn't even been coined yet. But they obviously had always planned on getting into the brokerage business, despite what they professed. You know, and I know that this, the having to sell buyer leads to agents was not their original nope. business plan. It was something that they were forced to do. But long story short, if you're not working, if, if you don't want to be an employee of a real estate brokerage like Open Door, Redfin, or um, you know uh, Zillow, you're going to have to. Uh, be, what choice do you have other than just taking a serious look at EXP Realty? Because then when you go in and you talk to those sellers, and the sellers are saying we're also talking to the so and so from Zillow, the so and so from whomever, you're going to say, well, I'm so glad you are. We also have a similar program, and if you'd like me to, um, and, and I've already submitted your house uh, for, and it's already pre-approved for our iBuyer program. And if you'd like to sell the house to the iBuyer, I have the offer right here. Well, and may become just a simple part of the. Uh, pre-appointment prep for a listing presentation. Right. That you know what that number is. You've already run it up the flagpole, and that's the greatest objection handler there is. It's not, oh, we don't have that program. It's not, let me think about it. It's not, let me go find an investor for you. So let me let me clarify something for these guys. Why EXP on this is because otherwise you guys are lacing together your own investors or you have the misconception that you personally have to be the one guaranteeing no. it. No. When we say I buyer, we don't mean necessarily. Now, some of, sometimes you're going to want to. It's a great opportunity. But you do not have to be the investor. The cool thing about EXP is it's got a pool of investors already ready to rumble. It's made it more efficient for you so that you can go in there with confidence, not putting yourself on the line. Well, drilling down on what Mrs. Harris just said, you will have the ability to basically, as I described, I wasn't oversimplifying. It's really how it works. And if you're if you're meeting with a seller and the seller decides that they want to you know, take the iBuyer route, and they like the iBuyer offer you're, um, you know, you're making the instant offer you're making that you're as an EXP agent, you're going to be able to essentially then sell the house to the um, iBuyer or to the, you know, through the instant offers program, and then you're going to get paid a commission on that. So you sell it to them, you get a commission. They then go in there and fix the house up, and then when they relist it, guess what? You get a commission on that too. You get the listing back when you have sold it to. Did you hear that gun in the background? Yeah. <laughs> I hope no one's shot hunting a Sasquatch. I know. It there it be. is again. <laughs> we now know where the Squatch lives. That's right. It's very clear. Right. So we are told if you hear a bunch of dogs, it's people hunting black bears. I know. That's I know. So it's weird. awful. Yeah. Well, so moral of the story here again is think about where the puck is going to be, not where it is. Where the puck is not is with franchises. Where the puck is not is with all the conversations that some of you guys defend uh, as if it was a religious, you know, thought with regards to all the th- anything. Here's and we talked about this last week, actually the week before last week. Um, the best way to keep your ego out of your business, uh, m- you know, mind your the decision making your apparatus, making sure your own, uh, you know, your own iOS is still functioning without any sort of outside viruses. Okay, for you nerd types out there like Julie and I, the best way to do it is start with the mindset, or at least the question that everything that you think works and maybe does work now to generate leads and to run your business won't work in 12 months. I start with the idea that nothing that's working now, nothing, this is the, the more painful, but also realistically, the more realistic way to think about it, nothing that you're doing now is going to work in the future. And that everything, and I'm talking about your listing presentation, your every, the, the nature of how you communicate everything, and then start deciding whether that's true or not. So maybe like, for example, I'll give you guys a really good example. And then I want to talk about the buyer agent commission thing. Buyer agency, okay? Because we also talked about that. Yes. (laughs) All right. So um, I'll give you, for example, the world is moving to SMS. And 
emailing and social network advertising and doing all these other types of communication. And obviously, we've been advocates of picking up the phone and learning real sales skills forever. And the reason is, is obviously, number one reason is it's because it's skills-based. You don't have to pay for it. Um, and it's more efficient, right? And the other reason was is because these tech companies, what they'll do is they start out obviously by offering everything for free, and then they start charging uh, you know you to use the service. And then what happens is they start limiting and throttling the effectiveness of what they're trying to sell to you. So you'll end up having to spend more to make get the same result. And in some cases, they completely change the uh, the algorithm or the rules uh, of engagement so that what you are doing no longer actually works. And there's so many examples of this. And, and I'm not going to go too far down this rabbit hole because some of you guys will have any idea what I'm talking about. But um, like Google changes the search algorithm. And for a long time, starting realistically in the early, well, mid-90s, all the way till probably 2003 or 2004, there was so much focus on SEO, search engine optimization, and all these black hat people and agents. And I know a lot of you weren't in the business then, but just bear with me here. There are agents that were spending gazillions of dollars trying to chase the coveted, you know, high search result for their keywords. And, oh, get your keywords and, you know, do this, do the other thing. And oh, you spend this money doing this and your meta tags and your this, that, the other thing. And all that stuff back then was state of the art. But then all it took was Zillow just to decide, you know, you had this other thing, links. You got to get lots of links from, you know, high page rank sites and all the rest of it. So agents were spending, brokerages were spending gazillions of dollars trying to basically learn what Zillow was doing behind the scenes. I'm sorry, Zillow. Google was doing behind the scenes because they weren't even telling anybody when they were changing the search apparatus. And guys, you many of you don't know this, but there used to be a whole bunch of different search tools, not just Google. There used to be... Um, I mean, all kinds of silly things. Do you even remember remember Bing? Yeah. Bing and um, Yahoo was a big mm-hmm. search portal. And so these companies would essentially, you'd put your, you know, you'd try to game their system and there'd be people that would study it and figure out what the little crack, you and know. you could cri- game it for a while. You could. And then what would happen is enough people would have figured out where, mm-hmm. how to game it. And then these search uh, monsters would then decide to change the rules. And so there are these companies, not just in real estate, but entire industries of companies that were, you went to bed and they were number one or number five. And they were getting lots of search results for free just because they'd spent all this money and time on SEO. And they were all proud of themselves and they're selling tons of their widgets. And they woke up the next day and there would be a new algorithm that was put in place. And they couldn't even be found anymore on the Internet. Just like that, companies were going out of business. And this became a normal thing. Uh, until people eventually said, you know what, this SEO stuff doesn't really work. No, nope. it, it's crazy. Now, now when you you start a website, there's certain basic things you can put in place, and once you set those basic things up, there's no gaming in it anymore. There's no nope. black hattery going on anymore. It's just the way it is. And then you see all these other companies that you know. Then you have people that were trying to push Facebook advertising, and people that were pushing Instagram advertising, and all this, and all these agents, and all these internet marketers. And internet marketers are the ones that are most effective at selling you guys stuff that's kind of smoke and mirrors. But you guys would run all to. Oh, we're going to do this. We're going to spend all this money on that. And coaches and gurus and oh, you got to make a bunch of Instagram videos. Oh, and it works for like a very limited amount of time. It'll work for maybe years. And like when Facebook advertising started coming out, it was you know relatively cheap, and everyone thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And inside twelve months, Facebook changed everything, and now you know it's just kind of a waste. It is a waste of money, and essentially, it's a waste of money. These are the types of things. This is what happens when you're just basically um, when you don't have a real business. Frankly, when your whole skill set. And your whole lead generation funnel is predicated on buying leads. You never have a business. 
You never because you're always going to be holding. It's not in your control. It's not. It's it's insane. It's insanity. Yeah. You're you're just basically a hack. Truthfully. Yeah. And the the worst thing I think is that when you call those companies that have promised you that you're going to get better placement or you're going to get better impressions or whatever. You know, they could tell you anything because agents don't know what filter to use. They could say, well, you know, it just hasn't been up long enough or you haven't done this widget or that widget. And how would you know the difference? Right. You know, you have absolutely zero control. And then sometimes they'll even upsell you. Well, it's because you haven't done this upgrade. And now you're spending more money and you're throwing good money after bad. And you think it's you. And it's not you. It's so, be- other than that you're not in control. So here's a technological trend that um, I'm 100% positive that, you know, we're right about this. And if you want to look to see where the puck is going to be with regards to communication, other than picking up the phone and other than face to face or <laughs> Zoom to Zoom, uh, it's going to be with SMS. And SMS marketing has been sort of the holy grail of communication in terms of um, marketing, but it's also been incredibly dangerous because if you do anything wrong when it comes to SMS marketing, you can get absolutely hammered because there's so many laws especially in the united states really united states compared to other countries is actually canada kind of, is pretty bad yeah canada is really bad so if you're sms spamming or if you don't there's so many specific rules but if you spam sms you can get hammered fifteen hundred dollars for every spam um you know uh, sms that you send and it just it, it's really it's really nasty so when you guys get a, a spam sms where you didn't give them permission to s- send you a text that is like you know, FTC uh, honey to a bear, basically. No. Yeah, <laughs> bad, you know, bad, very it's bad. bad. So that's the reason most companies and brands have avoided doing it. But now what you're seeing is you're seeing there's this new. I came across this company that I thought was very interesting, and I'm 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 studying it. And I'm I'm fascinated by it. If you guys just Google this, it's um I don't remember. It's not a website or it, it's invitation only. We applied and they gave us permission to use it. We're not affiliates. We're not, I'm not getting – this isn't a commercial. We're not getting paid for talking about it. I'm just you know, giving you guys – hopefully expanding your thinking, helping you to start you – know, giving you fuel for your fire to uh, you know, realize that everything that you think – everything you've been doing might essentially be outdated and you need to start thinking about what's next. Well, I'm giving you a for example now. SMS marketing works because it's a personal message. SMS marketing is like what emailing was – I don't even know how many years ago, 30 before essentially spam became so prevalent. Now emailing, a lot of people don't even read emails anymore. And if you look at, for example, if you send, you know, a thousand emails or whatever, and you look at the number of people that open it, let alone click it, the numbers are single digits at best. And it's almost become like what direct mail became when email came out. Yeah, exactly. You know. Right. Junk mail, basically. Yeah. And that, But if when you get an SMS and that little, you know, I've been watching Julie with her phone and when we're in cell <laughs> range and her, she can get SMSs. She, it's very Pavlovian. That little bell goes off and she's looking at it. I mean, we could be hockey on the Appalachian Trail and I hear that little ping yeah, go off well, and she's checking it. I have a nanny to monitor and we're trying to buy a house. So Yeah, I get it. I know <laughs> yeah. there's good rationalizations, but everyone's basically like that. I'm like that yeah, too. Sure. I mean, I'm not immune to it. You, you're curious about it. So that's the way emailing was back really effectively in the 90s and where you'd hear that you've got mail or whatever the hell it was right like, okay what is it oh Let's my go. gosh it's something important i mean again we're dating ourselves and, and now you hear that and you're like oh god there's like 10 more i have to delete 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 if you even look at it right so, so. if you look into this app you got to google it as again i don't think it's a website but i know it's an app it's a, called just google the terms uh community sms or community text and then you'll find it um, and this is very, it's very fascinating technology because what it is, is that you are getting explicit um, legal permission 
to send people texts. Now, the key is you don't want to start spamming people. Um, we've been text at legally at text marketing uh, probably for two years, and it definitely really works. Uh, and you, but there's specific rules you have to follow and the, the whole thing. So if you're trying to wonder where the puck is going to be in terms of mass communication, it's definitely going to be with SMS marketing. Now, where is it going to be um, as far as other types of communication? It's going to go more so back to actually picking up the phone. And this is going to happen even more than it ever has before because you're pushing the table, yep. because people have gotten so used to um, being passive with their forms of communication that many salespeople have, they actually, it's not even a reluctance, it's an inability to have a cold conversation with somebody, even if it's the lead follow-up. And people have become so dependent on um, essentially automatic systems that they've never had to develop the muscles to know actually how to be an effective salesperson. I think that's a huge disadvantage. Yeah, it is a yeah. huge disadvantage. Well, I'll say to the uh, you mentioned this earlier. These agents here in Murphy, some of them are just fantastic because they're picking up the phone. Mm-hmm. And most of the agents that are here, are, be, you know, it's obvious to me the reason why they have never been overly dependent on technology because it doesn't work here. Because you're well, you have really too. crappy cell coverage. Yeah, here. yeah, and and most of our communication has been through text. Yeah, when it works. When it works, and I tell you, I I bet you there's probably three or four houses that we never saw because we either couldn't find their phone number to text them, it didn't go the right place, or they didn't call back. Right, exactly, because who knows why? But that's just normal real estate, right there. Oh, that's true. So the other thing that Julie and I were talking about is, um, again, this is n- this is our Sunday show, so it's not the normal <laughs> Sunday show. There is a lot of stink that's going on. Well, there's two other topics. I'm going to talk about the first one because I had, I don't know, 20 people ask us to talk about this. Um, Gary Keller, Keller Williams, KWX, him stepping down and moving over to be the chairman for KWX, getting rid of the CEO role or KW, um, putting in, um, what's his name? I forget his name. Team, Josh Team, I think. I don't remember. Anyway, it's the president of KW and what relevance is that? Um, nothing. It's more like a fancy press release and you shouldn't worry about it. Honestly, I can't imagine that's going to have any real relevance on how efficient or inefficient, um, that brokerage is run. And I think it's a non-story. That's what I think. I I don't think there's an answer. Yeah. I don't think there's anything there, there. I really don't. Um, you know, Gary's going to continue to be an innovator. He's going to continue to be somebody that's going to not be complacent. Um, and, um, you know, other than the fact that, uh, EXP is obviously, I think has a more compelling value proposition to agents. I, I, there's no doubt about it that it does. Um, as far as a you know a uh, real leader in the industry, you know obviously Gary Keller is going to continue to be a leader in the industry. And if you guys think just because he's changing titles that he's not going to be constantly uh, monitoring what's going on uh, in his old role as the CEO, I mean you're crazy. Co- of course he is. <laughs> of course yes. he is. People like him don't just hang up their spurs ever. You know, they're always monitoring. And, and so, you know, he's proven over time to be a, a fantastic leader. And speaking of fantastic leaders, there was an article that came out on Motley Fool, which, can, despite the crazy name, is an incredibly well-respected financial news website. And I guess maybe we have some bias because they did name our podcast one of the top three residential uh, podcasts that everyone should be listening to. Um, and the only web or the only podcast that beat us was the National Association of Realtors podcast, which we're okay with, which we're okay with, right? <laughs> but yes, we might have a little bias. Yeah, but right. It's okay. So, so they, we've been following them for years before we that. have, right? When the brothers started that mm-hmm. po- that site way back when, mm-hmm. but yeah, and they so they came out with this podcast and this long article about EXP, and they were talking about 
um, the reason that EXP, or a lot of the things, frankly, we just talked to you about, guys, they were already, you know, they were agreeing with, almost like they'd been listening to our podcast the last know, two weeks, great. right? Because we've been talking about this. Um, but they're definitely in agreement and alignment. Very that, enthusiastic. That EXP is going to be um, the most dominant brand in the traditional real estate, or not even traditional, but on the online real estate technology front. Because EXP is becoming a technology company. Obviously, Zillow is a technology company. Redfin is arguably a technology company. Open Door is a technology company. And they were predicting, and again, this was just the other day, the things that you and I uh, were telling these uh, our show listeners, what, two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. That there's going to be a lot of um, sort of sword crossing at, into the you know 2021 amongst these big giants. And really, guys, again, I'm just going to really emphasize this. If you're not with EXP and you don't want to be somebody's employee, um, then you need to seriously think about changing companies. And yes, Julie and I are with EXP. Of course, this is something that um, we don't like to talk about that frequently, not because we don't want to talk about EXP because we're incredibly proud of it, but because you guys hear us talk about EXP probably a lot. And many of you have already joined EXP and you're part of our group. Um, so we don't want to bore you, <laughs> but if you are interested in joining Julie and I's EXP group, it's really simple. All you've got to do is text me directly, oh, text marketing, uh-huh. but this actually goes directly to my cell phone yes. at 512-758-0206, 512-758-0206. Um, and we will have a conversation, you and I will have a conversation about joining Julie and I's EXP group. And it's something that we're incredibly enthusiastic about. And it's probably one of the top, I don't know, five business decisions that we've made and our professional careers aligning that. that company. Absolutely. Yeah. Glenn Sanford has turned out, it's it just turned out to be, I mean, I didn't really have any connection with him prior to our involvement with mm-hmm. the XP, but the guy, everyone always said he was a genius. But when you see the moves he's making, and the, frankly, the, the moves he's made in the past really two years, three years, and you see how they're playing out um, just so, the timing is so perfect. You've, you've got to sort of like, how did he know things were going to work that way? How did he even imagine that, you know, two years ago, the industry would have, you know, pivoted in this particular or that particular direction? And it's just incredible. And uh, like, yeah, for example, yeah. the uh, national search portal that he's starting. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. How cool is that? Nobody talks about it, but, well, you know, here's Glenn Sanford. He, he said, you know what? We need to build our own um, national search portal to compete with Zillow and to compete with Realtor.com. We need to give these leads that come from this to our, you know, EXP agents. And yeah, we need to do this. And so we're going to do it. And so he, he's creating something that's going to create, uh, that's going to compete directly with these other two uh, behemoths. And yeah, that's pretty amazing. Again, if you're not with this company, you need to seriously think about it because not only are the fees going to be probably substantially less than you're paying now, but there's multiple ways that you can make money. There's multiple, you know, and the technology clearly is going to be, I mean. Well, if all you do is come along for the ride and you understand what's going on at the time and you take advantage of it, you I mean, what he's doing, this EXP is very timely and it's not a set it and forget it model. No. Nope. It's always improving every day. Very frosty and innovative. Definitely keeping an eye on what's going on in the market and being making sure that, you know, it, people always say, oh, you know, it's agent-centric. I, I'll tell you what, it is agent-centric. They're doing things that make agents very competitive and make it so that you don't have to say, oh, we don't offer that. I'm sorry. You I'm not allowed to do that. You, you don't have to worry about becoming an eight-track player if no, you're with the EXP. You have to maybe worry about keeping up, right? Right. And, and implementing and understanding, and that's okay. But you don't have to worry about becoming obsolete. You don't have to worry about, you know, and also ran. You don't have to worry about one of these big tech companies eating your lunch because you're going to eat their lunch because you're offering what they're offering, but probably the next generation of it because of what, you know, Glenn's put in place. It's it's amazing. Well, he wants it, to do it better. And he is. 
Yeah. And, and the, the whole agent centric thing, I, you know, that's that really is what people need to understand. The agent centric word is overused. It Definitely. means it means virtually nothing. And if you want to know what really people think, look to see where they put their money. Yes. Really, that's it. Don't judge somebody by what they say. Judge them by what they do. Uh, you know, and that's really important, too, when you're trying to evaluate who you're going to vote for for president, right? Yep. <laughs> Don't judge them by what they say. Judge them by what they do. And if you look to see, like all these companies say they're agent-centric, but then you look to see what they do. Are they doing for agents what Glenn Sanford and EXP is doing for agents? Not even close. You guys, literally, right now, when you when you buy or sell real estate, you make money from a real estate transaction. That's And that's great. It's been that way forever. That's how all real estate brokerages, that's the, that's the interaction, that's the relationship you have with your broker. You sell something, they get a percent, you get a percent, they provide a little bit of support, you do most of the work, that's how it works, right? Right. Well, what eXp does is all of that, but they also give you a lot of technology to make it so that the technology you're paying for now or that your broker's charging you to use, eXp gives to you essentially for free. But in addition to that, you make money from every transaction from in in frankly, about seven different ways. So you're making multiple streams of income that uh, Glenn and EXP has already created for you. So normally, if you wanted multiple streams of income, especially passive income, you have to do, you have to buy rental properties, right? That's, or something like that. But with EXP, they are there. We know people at EXP that have enough money coming in passively, not from buying or selling real estate, that their own personal bills are completely covered. They're, they don't care. I mean, look, the economy can go up or down. The real the interest rates can go up or down. But they have enough money coming in consistently that they don't have to worry about money anymore. And so the money that comes in from real estate transactions now goes to paying off debt or goes to well, you know, having invest. fun or investing or donating it. or It changes the rules. It changes everything. And this is the reason that everybody, you know, Motley Fool and it was on um, you know, in, uh, CNBC the other day. Jim Cramer was talking about it. EXP is changing the rules because they're changing the relationship between brokers and agents. The old school rule was, you know, it's what is your broker, uh, what, what are you paying your broker? And now the new rule is with EXP, what is your broker paying you? As, as another way of thinking about it, maybe a little bit too simplistic. But do take a serious look at it. And, um, Julie, I want to talk about the buyer agent debacle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, if you want to talk, if you want, guys want to talk to me about EXP, text me at 512-758-0206. All right. Another big hoop to do story mm-hmm. um, was this big uh, ruling that happened in the essence of it. And you guys can read about this on Inman. But the essence of the story was that there was, um, I think, um, two or three class action lawsuits that were attempted to get, I think the term is certified, and uh, to sue the major real estate brands and, you know, the big ones, Remax, Coldwell Banker, all those. And the premise of this suit was that. Uh, sellers have been forced to pay the buyer agent commission and not been given the option of not paying it. And it's a violation of the Sherman Antitrust Act or something. Right. Again, I'm not I really, right. I don't know if I made this written down, but I think that's what it was. And so they, the big brokerages, uh, they fought this back and they then had some judge, you know, the whole thing. And um, the judge said there is enough merit to the potential litigation that I'm not going to throw out um, this and we're, I'm going to let it move forward. And it does appear that there's going to be a wide scale, um, you know, lawsuit of some variety that's going to happen between, you know, obviously these class action attorneys and the big real estate brands. And the underlying assumption is, is that the buyer agent commission uh, 
from a seller's uh, side of the equation should not have been any should never have been something that sellers were forced to actually have to pay. That's the premise of it. Mm-hmm. And you know, you think we thought about that and and. It, Again, long-time listeners, you'll know we've been warning you that something similar to this was going to happen. There are so many reasons to believe that buyer-agent commission were no longer going to be an entitlement to the transaction. By entitlement, I mean you just walk into a listed property. You're a member of the MLS. The seller listing agent's a member of the MLS. The commission that's going to be paid to the you know co-op, the buyer-agent, is stated in the MLS. That is a literal agreement between your brokerage and their brokerage that if you bring the buyer, they write the contract, they're paying that commission amount. That was it. You didn't have to worry about what the commission was going to be. So in essence, and and who was paying the buyer agent commission? Obviously the seller was. So the seller was paying the commission on behalf of the listing agent and on behalf of the buyer's agent. It's worked for a hundred years, maybe forever. Since the beginning of contracts. Really? It's worked forever. I don't originally know who thought about it, but it was the greatest idea ever. Especially (laughs) for buyer's agents. (laughs) There we go. Proof that we're outside. Yeah. (laughs) It's the weather coming in. It's the weather coming in. Yeah, it's going to rain. So um, now what's happened is the, in, in our opinion, that was the low-hanging fruit for tech companies and other would-be, you know, real estate disintermediator types. That was the low-hanging fruit for them to target to create margin for transactions. In other words, if someone, so like Redfin comes to market and they say we are, you know, they're essentially a, a glorified commission discounter, right? One point five percent. That's the essence of their value proposition. We're a discounter, not a new idea. Discounter's been around forever. But why hasn't every anyone ever like if you show a Redfin house? Isn't I don't I have never I, we don't sell real estate, but I assume that they're co-oping the two and a half or three percent that's traditional in most markets, right? I assume I they are, so. mm-hmm. right? So you don't have to as a buyer agent, you don't have to go in there and you don't have to try to haggle for your commission. You're not haggling for the terms and the condition on behalf of the buyer and your commission now, are you? No. And when you're showing Redfin listing, the, the buyer's agent commission is a automatic assumed expense on behalf of the seller. Now, what the idea is going forward is that's no longer going to be true. Um, if the idea of this you know, litigation that's playing out, nobody knows how it's going to actually work out, but Julie and I have theorized about this, again, on these long uh, mountain dr- uh, drives we've been going on, what, how this will actually work. And, and you, are you with me, listeners? Do you understand what I'm saying here? So we've been warning you against basically buying leads. We've been warning you against not being a listing agent because we were fearful that you're, uh, you would be stuck in the event that uh, some tech company would come into the market and, and disrupt it. And by the way, that still could potentially happen. I mean, Zillow Home, though I doubt if they would, they could then start saying, well, you know what? The way we're going to squeeze more margin out of these listings is we're not going to automatically pay a buyer agent commission. So if you want a buyer agent commission, uh, if you, Mr. Buyer, if you want us to pay your buyer agent, that's going to have to go on top of the transaction. Otherwise, we're not going to pay it, which then would obviously force more buyers to go directly to the listing agent and that would then but the reason i don't think that's going to happen is because they're members of the mls and they're going to have to now play by our rules and so that's going to prevent them from being that aggressive but what's going to happen if this lawsuit goes forward and it actually is proven to be illegal for the seller to be forced to pay the buyer agent commission so here's the fallacy in the lawsuit in our opinion the seller's never been forced to pay the buyer agent side of the commission ever no. I mean, even when you and I sold real estate and we used NCRs. Right. 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 They there, don't know what that is. I'm, right. Right. <laughs> I remember there was a paragraph yeah. that specifically said yes. what the buyer agent commission was and you had to write it, it in there. It still is. It still is. I I'm just sure. docu-signed one. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. You just docu-signed yeah. one. And fully it just, disclosed. It's fully disclosed. Yeah. And so how they can as- make the assumption that the seller was coerced into paying yeah. it 
is asinine. I mean, I think it's become culturally accepted and baked right. in. I think all that's true. But right. to say that it was never disclosed or that they co- were coerced, I think, is taking it way too far. I do, too. I, I just don't think that's true. Yeah. And-, and, and, you know, buyers also know that they can negotiate some of this stuff. Otherwise, they would not go directly to the listing agent. And there are also other precedents. This is, this is not a universally baked in thing. What if you go and you buy new construction? You know, that they have a varying scale. What when if you buy it for baked sale by in, the, It's already priced in, right? Yeah. And so think about this, guys, in that the property that Julie and I are evidently in contract on now. Um, when that, uh, if we don't pay cash for it and it appraises and, you know, we have to go through that process. They're using appraisals that were uh, also uh, had the commission structure from previous transactions figured into the price, right? You following me here, listeners? So, so to somehow unravel generations of appraisals because they had this extra 3% packed into it, it just doesn't, it really honestly doesn't make any sense. So like, let's just say, for example, in this fantasy world that'll never happen, the all of a sudden buyer agent commissions are illegal. You can't, as a listing agent, even ask the seller to pay a buyer agent commission. It's no longer an option. Buyer's agents now have to come in there and negotiate for their own commissions. All right. So does that mean that the listing prices are then going to be adjusted down by what would have been the buyer agent commission? Hell no. No, no way. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Nope. So if you play all these different scenarios out, ultimately the reason why the technology companies and anybody else that goes after our industry has never been able to disintermediate agents, and this is what you have to understand, is because consumers want agents, right? Consumers want real estate people. Consumers want you in the transaction because unlike, say, for example, buying an iPhone or a commodity where everything is the same, Every house is different. Every location is different. All the nuanced differences makes a difference to whether yes, or not the house is going to sell. Different personalities are different. You think that that buyers and sellers want to talk to each other about replacing a furnace? Well, exactly. I think not. No, they don't. And like, so like, I don't care how nice your Matterport tours are, and those Matterport tours are badass. Those, those definitely. That I is guess. crazy, right? Yeah. That has to be alien technology. <laughs> that is <laughs> you know super awesome. It's so cool, but. Even with all the best Matterport tours in the world, is it going to replace the local agent who knows that when the wind is blowing from the southwest, you know, Bob's hog farm from five miles away (laughs) wasps up on your property because your house is sitting in a, you know, a a valley or a gorge. And for like the hottest summer days, you have this constant hog smell. I mean, you guys get what I'm saying here. I'm trying to make you You laugh. You need to have the local knowledge. You do. I I remember when you and I were looking at uh, big parcels in Texas, right? And we would look at, you know, oh, this is beautiful pasture land and it's rolling and we could have, you know, chickens here or whatever. And, you know, when you deal with a really professional farm and land agent, they'll say, you know, this to mow this, this is going to, you know, you're, yeah. you know, it's going to be a gajillion dollars a month. So I think local knowledge is extremely important. And I think that it's becoming more important. Yeah, I mean, you can Google the crap out of something, but nothing replaces somebody that's grown up there. So here, here's ultimately how this is going to play out. In our opinions, there's going to be more real estate transactions done quicker for demographic reasons, also for ease of financing reasons, but also because of the iBuyers, there's going to be more people that are able to exit out of their houses quicker. You're also going to see a surge in new construction. Uh, but as, guys, interest rates now, come on, give me a break. And the Fed already said rates are going to stay low for five years. So what you're going to see is not a decrease in the number of real estate um, agents. You're going to see an increase in the number of real estate agents, an increase in the number of real estate transactions. And you're going to see more and more people looking for uh, the professional services of a real estate agent because 
of the tech companies are they're essentially over uh, other people have too much information too much content they want someone to decipher it they want somebody to decode it they want someone to lead them along the way and how are people going to make those decisions you think they're going to make those decisions based on uh, who has a billboard no they're going to make those decisions on who is the listing agent they're going to go to the listing agent because at least the listing agent has the competence to basically have gotten a house listed and you know they're going to that you know, they're most likely going to have a higher level of market knowledge so when you hear all this rigmarole about technology companies and commissions and buyer agent commissions going away is it possible that some technology company is going to start making it so um, they're going to no longer automatically in you know uh try to um, enforce or try to encourage the seller to, um, you know, pay a, a commission for the buyer's agent? Yes. But does that happen now? Of course it does. When you're a listing agent and you go out and talk with a seller and you're reading the, the listing contract, you're explaining to them how all that works. You're explaining to them how the co-op works. You're explaining to them why you want a co-op. In some markets, you're explaining to them why you want to pay over the normal co-op to make the house more appealing. These types of conversations only happen when houses sell themselves in a hot seller's market. When the market turns, then you see buyer agent commissions go up to 3.5%, 4%. So don't overthink or don't ultimately use your fear of the unknown as your excuse not to prepare for it. And that's ultimately what many people do. Um, and so, guys, listen, there has never been a time in the, you know, Julie and I have been in this, well, uh, basically 30 years since they were selling caves right you know we <laughs> it's, it's shocking isn't it it's only when you and i are out of our normal environment <laughs> that you can kind of have some yeah. you know we're looking we're, we're in this tree house as it's starting to rain and if the clouds weren't there we can see into three states from where we're sitting right now it's awesome. so beautiful and it's nice to be our age doing what we've done and have, have perspective this, and have perspective right mm-hmm. and all these conversations that so many of you guys get freaked out about they've happened Again and again and again. None of this is new. Just remember, if you personally are going to go and make a decision where you're personally going to uh, purchase something like real estate, are you going to want to do it uh, with a professional? Are you going to do it without a professional? 99% of the time, you're going to do it with a professional. Of course you are. Everybody does. Our lizard brains are wired to want the advice of somebody to tell us it's going to be okay to make the process and the transition smoothly because most people do not go through very, you know, potentially stressful financial things very frequently in their lives. Well, you can tell, right? You can tell when people are in the midst of a real estate transaction. It is the most stressful thing that most people it's, have gone through. People have studied this, right? right? There's surveys all the time, and they always come out the same thing. Birth, like the top things that birth, stress. Getting yeah. married is str- Well, I don't think marriage is one of them. It's, um, it's death of a loved one, birth of a child. Um, uh, selling a house is like number three. Yeah, exactly. You know, and like I think actually moving is number four. It's up there on the stress level. And, you know, you can tell that some of you guys listening, you know, because you're in the midst of some stressful deals. Yep. People need you. And I'll tell you one thing that I learned. This goes to our perspective. And many times this happened where we would have just, you know, fairly recently closed what was by all measures stressful on every side, you know, negotiating back and forth, tough inspections. What are you talking about? I'm I'm talking about uh, perspective that those clients where you're in the midst of these difficult deals. Months later, years later, these are your most loyal clients because you solved their problem. They needed you. Now, they might not have looked like that in the midst of it, but they come back, they repeat, they refer. 
people do appreciate professionalism. Absolutely. And I tell you what, they're, they're also quick to criticize when you're not professional. And so there was on that, I didn't, did you listen on that um, Motley Fool podcast? Yeah, most of the, it. I the think. guy actually was not, he was sort of a real estate person, but you could tell he, yeah. just, he just sort of recently was studying he all was this. kind of a real estate tourist, maybe. Yeah, exactly. He, he was just talking about the difference, you know, Zillow and EXP yeah. and Open Door and mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it, it was kind of, he didn't have all the facts and figures right, but he did, he did some interesting research, which I actually thought was hilarious. Mm-hmm. So he said he went and he called individual, um, you know, these individual companies. So he called an EXP agent and he called a Redfin agent. Uh, he didn't call his Zillow agent because there weren't any for him to call. And, but he specifically said he called the Redfin agent and no one ever called him back. Yeah. It's because the incentive structure is always going to favor somebody. If you want to know how people are going to behave, ultimately, it, look at the incentives. And I'm getting back to the fact that real estate agents are always going to be relevant. And frankly, real estate agents who are going to, the best real estate agents are always going to want to have control of their own destiny. And they're you know it's going to be commission based. They're not going to work for somebody. No. Yeah, I mean it's it's just it's a fascinating I, I think time in real estate for most people who are in real estate, at least the ones that, that are in for, say, 18 months or more and kind of have it figured out for the most part, it's not even in their blood to go work for somebody else. No. They want the independence. They want that control. And so a lot of what we talk about on our podcast is making sure that you guys stay in control. That's right. So look, guys, please, um, I know it's very stressful right now. It's not easy to, frankly, keep your wits about you emotionally. I'll tell you something. We don't watch the news at all. Julie and I do not have it on in our home in Puerto Rico. I don't even know how to turn on the TV. Exactly. (laughs) The only thing we watch on uh, uh, TV are are movies and F1 racing. That's it. Right? What else do we watch? And and my mom. documentary occasionally. My mom who lives with us and our little girl, they never watch TV. Uh, Only DVDs, which I like because I know what they're watching. Yeah. A bunch of Harry Potter stuff is what's always (laughs) watching. Beginning to end. Yes. All eight of them. Which she's only seven, so maybe we should stop at Harry Potter 3, but I'm just Uh, saying. But yeah. So here in this little, this cabin we're renting, um, it's funny because we were channel surfing um, looking for a movie or something to, you know, do the other night. And we came across. Fox News, MSNBC, CNBC, CNN. And, and CNN, and we so we started watching. We started sort of channel surfing um, amongst all of them. This wasn't this the night of the uh, the, the, the VP, VP. What a bunch of crap! <laughs> I know. Oh my god! It didn't even matter what channel it, you were and on. To go cold turkey on that stuff right. for as long as we have, and to start watching it again, what utter insanity! All of that is bonkers it is bonkers it's not even news it's not even it's like what is it i don't even know what it is i don't know it's bad tv it's bad tv it is what it is it's terrible tv so look we're not politicizing we're not saying this or the other thing or who this and who vote who vote we're saying i mean there was something that some guy was talking about on cnn and how the fly that landed on the vice president's head was a sign of being demonic and this was a topic of conversation seriously I don't get it. I just don't understand how Unbelievable. I'm going to go back to being cold turkey on media. That's for sure. Yeah, but, you know, you bring up a good point, which is probably I don't know, but probably a fair amount of average Americans watch that crap fairly regularly. And I, you know, that goes to people's stress levels and that's their, their need to be taken at. care of. Yep. And, you know, I have to say maybe it's because we're in the south and because we're in a small town. I get that sense. People are so polite. Yes. And so nice. And they are generally not that wound up. I mean, you were driving on some of the most incredible roads ever, and people were just so polite and kind. Yep. And uh, I, I think that when this whole COVID thing 
dries up in whatever form that's going to happen, we're all going to realize that we had like some kind of PTSD, <laughs> like COVID stress disorder. Yep, I think so too. That we kind of suppressed and kind of lived with, kind of got used to, but it was this underlying stress. And I think that's probably worse than people think. And we're going to all have this lifting of this big dark cloud when it goes well, away. Where we live in mm-hmm. uh, Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. it, and uh, there are lots of mask holes there. Yes. Right? You know, <laughs> that's right. People that will give you the stink eye if you're not wearing a mask, so you just don't even think when we leave <laughs> but our you community. Understand. I mean, it's, but, but here, yeah. they, the, the, you know, in Murphy, there's Follow no... Follow the rules in restaurants and things like that. There, right. But there are very few cases of COVID. And um, I think there was like uh, two people that passed away here. And this in is in a, this a gr- county anyway. Yeah, yeah, this is a small county. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. But people don't wear masks here. except like Julie said, in restaurants and whatnot until you and sit down. In the grocery store. Yeah. In the grocery store. But but people are still social distancing. They're still like nobody. You know, you don't being see handshaking and being respectful. Yeah. But there's not this undercurrent of what like masks masking has become. And look, I'm all for wearing a mask when you're out and about. Trust me, when Julie and I are in the airport, I'm like, this is perfect. I mean, even in normal times, it's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, it, it, Julie and I are introverts, so it gives us a perfect reason to be more, even more introverted. Yeah. No forced social interactions. I have I'm asthma. A mask. I don't, I don't want to catch anything, <laughs> and I don't want to bring anything home. I got no, no. problem with that. But, but, you but know, to make it a political issue. Right, is, to make it a political you know, issue, ridiculous. that's the kind of thing that happens if you watch too much CNN or MSNBC mm-hmm. or Fox News. or It just is... Guys, you got to do yourselves they a favor. They literally politicized a fly. Yeah, they politicized a fly. That's how bad it is. Yeah. And yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. But do yourselves a favor. And I realize that we're less than 30 days away from the presidential election. And it's, just, it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. And how can you be effectively running your own life and real estate business if you're allowing yourself a steady diet of that insidious garbage? So I strongly encourage all of you to, you know, follow. I don't remember what Media Harris free. Rule it is. It's in there. Yeah, it's in the book, Harris Rules. But guys, seriously, go and uh, we did see our book, Harris Rules, in one of the bookstores, didn't we? At yes. one of the bookstores here. I think. It's yes. Awesome. Yes. And was, I don't remember what number rule it was because I don't have it in front of me. But it's a media. We usually talk about at least a media free morning, but having a media free life is pretty good too. It is really, and you know that's one of the reasons, by the way, that podcasting has gone through the roof. Oh yes, yes, absolutely, because you can control what's going in your brain. You know, you it, know? It, and you, you can sample things. I, I like trying yeah, different things me too. out, you know, me too. And you and I sit, we'll talk about whatever the heck we want to talk about. And I like, I wonder what, when I was just, when I was channel surfing, just getting back to the insanity of it all. And we were watching all these people perform. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle it was, but to me watching it and not having watched that stuff for a long time, it was clear to me that those people were just playing a role. Yes. They were acting basically. Yeah. They were, they were like, it was like a bad skit. One yeah. after the other after the other. I know. It's, I, I don't like that it's become that acceptable. But Well, the, the reason you know. is, is because they have co-opted or they have stolen or hijacked. And this is both sides of the aisle. I'm not being yep. political here. What used to be something that was um, respected. Sure. You would watch Walter Cronkite. In the well, evening. the difference is, and I think this largely turned after 9-11 happened. Yeah. But the difference was, and we grew up on, you know, CBS Nightly News with Walter Cronkite. They were reporting what happened. They That's did. it. Reporting. Not opinionating on. Not giving their spin on. Well, I mean, if you they were, were just saying, this is what happened today. If you were wanting to have that experience where you were just wanting to have the news that's not, doesn't have a, a, a political bent to it, or it's not about the opinion of the claim 
a reporter, I don't even know where you would go. No, because, you know, you, you used to also be able to just like scan headlines and kind of pick out what happened. But even the headlines are salacious now. Yep, they are. They have a spin. And if you go, we talk about this a lot uh, during the week that uh, something will come out and it'll seem like, what? And then you scan down and like the, the truth of what actually happened is at, like paragraph 18. Right. And, and that's the reason when and, you guys. And not really related to the, t- to the headline. When you guys are reading articles mm-hmm. anymore, notice how the title is oftentimes similar, but not the same of the content. But look how most all uh, media outlets, and we do this too on TimAndJulieHarris.com. Um, it, you do this for uh, you do this for the sake of organizing information, but also it's because it's one of these search engine things that you're supposed to be doing that tells the search engines what your articles are about. But that's not really the real reason that media outlets are doing it. They're doing it because they know most people, t- what Julie just said, will not read. So they read the headline mm-hmm. and then they read these bullet points that are the top of every article, knowing that you're not going to read the content. And if you do read the content, what you're going to find is it's usually a four or five paragraph article and you're going to see that the bullet points correspond with each of the paragraphs but then usually the last paragraph is the uh is something that's going to basically invalidate or put in question the things they had previously said and it's because what they're doing is bloviating or they're essentially spinning something in a particular uh direction just for the sake of being political or making a a particular point i honestly feel sorry for people that wanted to be honest reporters and in order for them to yeah. get jobs, they then had to basically become professional bloviators. Mm-hmm. I feel sorry for them. Yeah, there it has shouldn't to be, be called journalism anymore. But no, it, it should be called something else. And in, anyway, so you know, this is the reason I think the pod, our podcast. I mean, this well, podcast we work will hard be listen- to be yeah. factual and right. You know, we offer opinions, but we're not. We stay clear of the things that yes. will that are incendiary. Right. And we we always focus on the same three things. We want to educate these guys, motivate them, and hopefully get them into action. That's it. So listen, it's starting to rain here. It is. Yes. Air smells nice. So happy, um, happy uh, anniversary. Well, belated by a month. Yeah, that's okay. Because that's the reason we're here. So happy belated 29th anniversary. And uh, guys, listen, you are you know you are in the right place at the right time. The indus- the real estate industry has been sort of the slow moving iceberg of a thing, and now finally because of COVID and you know the really the wide scale adaptation of all these things technologically, it's really going to change fast. The um, there is not going to be any meaningful disintermediation of agents. Just the opposite is going to happen. So you are going to have more opportunities come your way in the real estate industry to help more people and, frankly, make more money than you ever have in the past uh, because of the changes. But you have to be making sure that you are aligned with the types of companies that are going to reinforce you being relevant. Otherwise, you are most likely not going to last. And we're still researching this. I ended up actually having to hire someone to research this for me. Because, frankly, I didn't want to do the research. But what I've discovered and what my theory is, is the average amount of time that a new licensee is in the business is decreasing. And I, um, the, what got me started on this was I heard somebody say that National Association of Realtors or something like that said the average agent was in the business for less than 24 months and then they fail. And then I thought, well, that sounds about right because the average business fails within 24 months. And then I heard some internal studies were being done by some of the biggest real estate companies that said the actual number amount of time the average new agent is in the business and then they fail is 14 months. And I got thinking to myself, so here we are in the last, you know, since 2007 with all these whiz-bang ideas and how agents can build their businesses and all this internet lead generation funnel building you know, branding and all this. And yet the numbers of agents 
are in the numbers of real estate transactions has been steadily increasing. Sale prices have been increasing. Commissions have been increasing, you know, per transaction. And yet the number of agents, you know, the number of agents getting in the business um, and yet the number of agents failing faster has been increasing. And the only reason I can really figure that out, because the market forces are there to uh, should be there to enforce agents or essentially reinforce agents to become successful. But what's happening is it's not because of big teams. That's not true. It's not because of, you know, a bunch of technology companies gobbling up the transactions. Most transactions in the country are still done by small, medium sized brokerages. That is true. That's going to change in our opinion. But the real reason we think is because agents are not being taught to do the real work of real estate when they get their licenses. And if they were, all these other technology companies would not have ever gotten any sort of, you know, finger hold on our industry. And that's where we went wrong. If you want to go back and you want to say, why are so many agents needlessly suffering? Ultimately, it's because no one ever had the gumption to tell them the truth about what it takes to be successful in real estate long term. And I hope um, and I know tens of thousands of you listen to our podcast every day. Sorry for not having a new podcast for you the last week. Okay. Uh, but this is the number one listened to daily podcast for real estate agents in the United States. We have global ambitions, I think. Why not? What the hell, right? <laughs> We're already in 54 countries. Why but, not? And so we are going to keep on saying what we know to be the truth, that if you want to be successful in this business long term, you have to be you have to learn how to master the real work of real estate, which, by the way, has nothing to do with buying leads or branding, which has nothing to do with things that you probably think are true. Um, we strongly encourage you to, if you're just new in the business or if you're wanting to figure out why you feel like you're constantly swimming with the you know, water trying to pull you in the wrong direction, uh, buy our book, Harris Rules. It's available on Amazon. It's available on every major bookstore. Like I said, we see it in airports. Buy Harris Rules. Read the book. You can get it on Audible. And that'll at least give you the framework on how to build a long-term, steady, uh, really a true real estate business opposed to someone who's just basically a transactional agent. Hopefully that makes sense. Anything else you'd like to say to these guys? Yep, get to work. Don't be less left in the dust. There's lots of cool things happening around you, and we try and make sure that you stay in that loop, so pay attention. That's right. So um, listen to this podcast anytime, guys. It's available on Stitcher, Audible, um, Spotify, uh, just everywhere you can possibly listen to a podcast. And please do help us. Uh, get more audience, have more people um, listen to us. And I really appreciate all of you who've given us five-star reviews in all the normal places. And if you've not yet done so, it's absolutely your moral obligation to give us a five-star review <laughs> on whatever your podcast listening widget is. iTunes is the most powerful one, probably always will be. So please give us a five-star review. Don't get lazy and just hit four stars. It does not take that much effort <laughs> to hit five stars. That's right. So please do that. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day. And we'll talk with you on the show on uh, tomorrow on Monday. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.